So the medal in itself, you know, you can be unhappy with a gold medal or happy with a gold medal. So it's not actually about the colour of the medal, is it? It's about what it represents. And yet we often don't even have a conversation about that. Hi, everyone. My name is Dr. Pete Olushaga, and this is 80% Mental, the world's premier sport and performance podcast, a title which I've bestowed entirely upon myself with very little justification whatsoever. Um, a very warm welcome to another episode of this third series in which I'm on a bit of a side quest really to explore the mental aspects of as many different areas of performance as I can. And today's no different. Well, it's a little bit different actually, because I'm going to be talking about something that applies to all of us uh, in all sorts of different performance arenas. And I suppose in, in life as well. Uh, I guess it depends on how you define what we're going to be talking about today, which is the psychology of success. What does success really mean? Was Vince Lombardi right when he said that winning isn't everything, it's the only thing? If you're not first, are you really last? And how else might we think about success? So we're going to discuss all of this, and I've pulled together what I think is an absolutely brilliant panel of guests for this episode. So I'll waste no time in introducing them so we can just get on with it, which I know is what everybody really wants. Uh, so joining me today on the podcast, first of all, is Paul Greaves. Paul is a world-leading trampoline coach with a career spanning over 20 years. He's produced athletes that represent Great Britain on the world stage, including current world and European champion and double Olympic medalist, Bryony Page. Paul, welcome to 80% Mental. Thank you very much. I'm excited to be here. So Paul, what have you been up to recently then? So um, lots of work around um, sort of coach wellbeing, actually. Um, so uh, certainly sort of from an, an elite perspective, um, lots of work around um you know, athletes looking after themselves and things like that. But actually, what about the coaches? Um, and and certainly sort of like some of the things around coach identity and who we actually are and how that's impacted when athletes succeed, don't succeed or um, or quit and leave. <laughs> yeah, or they enter into like centralized training programs and things like that and then don't work with you anymore. And, you know, lots of work around athletes, but not so much around coaches. So that's something that I've been doing um, more recently and, and doing workshops all over the place actually mm -hmm. so um yeah i'm off to sweden in a, a few weeks time to work with the swedish team so yeah it's exciting times oh fantastic we'll have to chat later then because that's kind of my area of uh, of research um so obviously the episode's about success um what is one of your most recent successes so i suppose it's how you measure success <laughs> um <laughs> in, 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 which is what we're going to talk about today yeah. um like I would say my most recent success um, is actually um, working with a coach uh, and mentoring that coach and they have just produced their first ever British champion. Um, for me, that's a huge success as well because um, I feel that that's something bigger than what I've done before, uh, which mm. some people might disagree with. Um, <laughs> if you're talking about more, more recent athlete successes, uh, Bryony is now the, the the world and European champion within this last twelve months, and that's just a dream that I always had. Um, to, you know, to to help produce a world or um European champion. So, yeah, that's that's been incredible. Um, and still not really sunk in. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's awesome. Well, uh, once again, thank you so much for joining us uh, on Eighty Percent Mental. Um, I'm also pleased to welcome Siddharth Sampler. 
uh, to the podcast. Sid is a Basie's sport and exercise scientist specializing in psychology, uh, currently working with motorsport at iZone Performance, uh, supporting drivers on the uh, mental side of their sport and performance. So Sid, uh, welcome to the podcast. Hi, you Pete. It's great to be here and I'm looking forward to uh, the conversations and, and kind of being around uh, with everybody. I'm really excited for it. And um, I'm going to ask you the same question, Sid. Have you had any recent uh, successes? <laughs> uh, yeah, similar to Paul. It depends on how you, you would define the success. Um, I would <laughs> say, yeah, something personal. Uh, I've had a recent recent success in around self-care and around just reaffirming some boundaries um, and just putting some, yeah, some elements where I was trying to avoid um, or, or really struggle with sometimes saying no. Um, so I would say some recent successes around self-care and some boundaries. All right, fantastic. Um, well, again, welcome to the podcast. I, I can't wait to sort of delve into um, what success means mm. to, uh, to to you a little bit more later on. Uh, but we're, we're joined by a third guest uh, on today's podcast, and it is with great pleasure that I introduce the one and only Kath Bishop, Olympic rower, uh, in Atlanta, Sydney, and Athens, uh, and a former British diplomat in the Foreign Office. Wow. Uh, now a leadership and culture coach working in organizations inside and outside of sport. Uh, Kath is the author of a book which I'm sure many of you will have read, The Long Win, Search for a Better Way to Succeed. Uh, and amongst other things, amongst, amongst other amazing things, Kath is the chair of Love Rowing, a charity raising funds for projects to increase access to the sport. Kath, Welcome to 80% Mental. Great to be here. Thanks for inviting me. No, well, thank you for taking the time to join us. Um, uh, and I, I have to ask you the same question. Uh, recent successes? So I think um, for me, it's about getting others to rethink success. So every time I have one of those conversations where people sort of have that aha moment and start to think, maybe I can define it on my own terms, maybe I should stop and actually reflect and be very intentional about it, about what it is, or throw off the sort of shackles of, you know, the narrowness of how we maybe have defined success sometimes. So whenever I have those conversations, um, then, and I've had a few recently, then that for me, those, those are good days. Yeah, well, I mean, I've had three amazing, incredible answers to that question I was thinking more along the lines of I managed to make my breakfast the night before last night like to me that's a success so oh that's I, the dream I've never got to that yet <laughs> so I'm, I'm winning right um well I, I can't wait like I said to to delve into this a little bit more it's such an interesting topic um so thank you uh to all three of you for taking the time to join me for what I hope is going to be a fascinating conversation on the psychology of success So, Kath, I'm going to start with you, uh, if that's all right. And I'd like to ask, when you when you first started out as an athlete, if you can think back, how do you think at that point, at the start of your athletic career, you would have defined uh, success? So at that point, coming into the Olympic team, not, not really in the, the era of pathways at that point, um, it was defined by others. I felt I had no agency in it. Everyone else told me, this is what you've got to do. You've got to be first. You've got to be on the podium. Nothing else counts. You won't, you know, don't expect to have fun. That's the only bit that is fun. And so it was very clear 
very narrow and I didn't question it for quite a while. I thought, okay, well, this is, I've got to learn how to be an Olympian. I've got to learn, you know, I'm coming from outside from, from normal life. And so these people know uh, they're doing it, they're in it. They have been doing it for years. So I've got to learn this. I've got to sort of take it on and, um, and, and sort of somehow fit this, fit myself on onto this. So it was very much, you know, crossing the line first, split second, piece of round metal, that's it. So I, I guess, you know, success and winning are often thought of as synonymous. And I guess that's kind of what you're describing there, that success is in the medals, right? Um, but I, I wonder how your conceptualization, the way that you viewed success, I wonder how that maybe changed across the span of your career. Did you think about it very differently towards the end uh, than you did at the beginning? So it changed massively. And that was the whole beginning of my sort of long win journey, mm. if you like, um, partly because this sort of winning medals business wasn't going very well. So therefore I felt an entire failure because it was a very clear, very narrow definition and I wasn't hitting it. Mm. So I thought, hmm, the way I'm framing success is not helping me to get that and I'm getting nothing else either. So this is sort of lose-lose really. I'm losing doubly. I'm not getting this narrow thing that I've got to get and I'm not getting anything else that feels very positive. And, you know, it felt very constraining to be honest and it did feel imposed by others um, and it, it was quite hard because on a daily basis, you're not winning medals. So if that's your only measure, you're generally not fast enough on most days to win medals, um, nor is anyone giving them out on most days. So it sort of left huge parts of the year sort of somehow not. And how do I know if I've had a successful day today? Mm -hmm. Is it really dependent on what happens in three years time on, you know, in seven minutes on a particular day? Is, does today hinge on that? And that's not a great way to live. It actually makes it very difficult to optimize today. Um, and we need to optimize that to get towards that. So I suppose it was, you know, so, sort of myself thinking, look, this isn't helping me. I've my first two Olympics, I didn't perform well. Seventh and ninth, I didn't feel I'd delivered what I was capable of. So I thought I've got to rethink things. I need to come at this in a different way. And sports psychology was also starting at that point to make the separation between performance and results. So you define the performance you can deliver and you have to work to that. You know, in our rowing world, it's about making the boat go as fast as possible. You can't control you're going to win the gold medal. We still want it. It hasn't changed. But actually, on a daily basis, it's all about this learning piece, improving piece. And that also helped me to start to shift my thinking. So the winning is still of importance because that's kind of the driver, the motivation. That's what you're working towards and that's what you still want. But on a day-to-day -day basis, that can't happen. You can't win a gold medal every day. So the drivers have to come from the processes, right? Yeah, so you're broadening the criteria, if you like. Um, I think it's it's actually broadening what comes before the medal and after the medal. So, um, you know, at that point, I was sort of thinking about how, you know, what else do I get? When I, came, I had a year out and I came back for my third Olympics and the sports psychologist said to me, what else are you going to get from this if you don't win a medal? And at first I thought, oh my God, don't let anyone hear you say that. You know, that, that's not possible. <laughs> Even though I myself was, was thinking, look, I'm coming back to have one more final go and I, and I want it to be different. I want the experience to be different. I, I'd felt so burnt out. It felt so miserable and, and I hadn't worked well anyway by this round piece of metal uh, measure. So I was thinking I want a different experience, but I still felt a little bit afraid. But he kind of gave me that permission 
What else are you going to gain, you know, regardless of the medal that will last afterwards? And so I think that's the other thing, that mm. success needs to be on a continuum. Today needs to be successful, but the day after the medal needs to be successful. So we need to kind of stretch out, if you like, the time, that it's not just one second, a transient moment of success as you cross the line first or not, or stand on the podium for about two minutes, 45 seconds. Um, it needs to be then what that leads, what what lasts. Okay, the round piece of metal gets a bit tarnished, sits in a drawer. What lasts? What do you carry around with you? So it was actually building out this picture of success, both you know back way before the medal race, but also afterwards. And just starting to build that out, you know, was so just felt so liberating. Brought a lot more kind of you know engagement and meaning. And I felt I was really part of something. I could bring my own language. I mean, it really changed the whole experience. And then it started to change performance too. Sid, I'm interested in your perspective here as a psychologist in the room. You know, what what are you making of what? Kath is saying here about success and, and how would you define it, you know, with the athletes and maybe that you, that you work with, is it something that comes up? Yeah, I think it's, a, it's kind of a great piece of, of what Kath has started us off with. And I think I noticed straight away at the start was the, this conversation around the system created success for athletes, right? The system created what success means for athletes. And it was really interesting what Kath talked about. And it, and it, it's a, it's what we hear now is the, this element of the athlete has to fit into this success system. Um, and there is no agency. The, the athlete feels disempowered. The athlete feels they have no control. They have no choice. And that all impacts performance. That impacts our ability to be, to be at our best, um, to show up that we, how we want to show up and align to what we feel is important in our journey. Um, and I think kind of, Exactly similar for, for 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 what I would say around success, and um, the work that I that I'm doing and I'm seeing in athletes was there's that big difference between when I look at success and when I look at winning is for me winning is often uh, quantifiable. It's often this really narrow milestones, right? Um, these focusing on single moments in time, um, and mm. it's finite. It ends. Uh, you 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 perform you have a result uh, you finish your season uh, you win gold and that's it uh, so there's this really big gap between what success is and what success isn't based on this this external kind of winning um focus um and i, I think that was pretty much how i viewed um success when i first started out in my journey um was this really rigid and 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 finite um uh, kind of narrow milestones so but the way i look at success now and it's part of it is is my learning and my development but part of working with athletes exactly what kath's talking about there it's it's looking at the way i view success or the way when i'm working with athletes looking at success it's about how are we empowering our athletes to give them meaning in their journey uh to give them purpose in why they're doing what they're doing uh, and for me it's looking at success as it's a story behind the athlete. It's a story behind their journey, whereas winning is the numbers. Winning is the the gold medal, per se. Um, so it's this story of, that's something really personal to me. Um, like we all had four different definitions of success, getting out of bed, um, kind of turning <laughs> up, whatever it is. And that's similar for, for what we're do, talking about here. It's mm. the, it will look different to every one of us. It's doing what you love. It's creating those memories. It's overcoming hurdles, becoming your best. It's infinite successes. It's broad milestones. Um, and it's that when I often look at <clears throat> winning, it's yes, okay, records are being broken. Uh, milestones are being achieved. World records are being set. Um, but what about the person behind all this? What are they winning? 
um, what what are they losing in this all? When we're looking at this winning at all cost culture, um, is it really healthy for the athlete? Um, what have they missed in all this winning records and and achieving um, these goals? And yeah. and that's kind of the question I often look at it when working with athletes is 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 kind of I'm surely there's more to it than this. I think what's interesting is that you've both talked about this almost culturally prescribed notion of what success should be. Um, Paul, if I can bring you in here, because you've got to consider this from two different perspectives, really. There's your athlete's success, and then there's your own success as a coach. And I guess, you know, similar similar question to, to, to what we've been talking about so far. Like your definitions of success, did that change over your career? Um, is it does it depend on your athlete's success? There's, there's a load of questions tied in there, but you, you can just answer whichever one you want. So I've just looked at my Facebook profile status and <laughs> under my name, it, I've had this for since 2007 and it's not changed. And it says passionate coach who strives to achieve excellence with happiness. Um, and that is something that is really, really important to me and something where um, success um it is measured by different people under different sort of um sort of measurements really so if you look at like uh uk sports previous mission statement was to inspire a nation through olympic and paralympic success problem is how do you define success and what does that mean and actually mm. when you're funding organizations based upon a medals tally that then promotes that as success and that for me as a coach doesn't sit well um and it's something where um i, I feel really sad to hear kath say what she's just said because i've also had athletes go through exactly that same thing in terms of you know it's all about um the medals well what's the olympics all about and why was the olympics set up um think about the core values of that um and that sort of like olympic dream um isn't necessarily yeah you know nobody goes into a competition and goes i want to lose <laughs> like you know you you mm -hmm. go in there with the intention of doing the best that you can and if you're the best on the day then then you win but actually that whole thing around what everybody said is you know there's so many more things to success um such as happiness and well-being um and, you know, if you look at my success as a coach, um, my success is often measured by uh, perceptions of other people of how my athletes have done. Um, whereas actually, you don't know half of the athletes or like you won't know any of the other athletes that I've had mega successes with who have become phenomenal people um, working in all sorts of different industries that have taken the values of what we did in, in our training environment um, you know, into sort of like their sort of lives, basically. Um, so success for me is this text message, which I received yesterday from a former athlete, uh, just to sort of put it out there. Um, I've received a picture of three of my former athletes who are all in their 30s now and went to the World Championships um, at the weekend. And I've just had this message. It says, just had the best weekend with the best people. I know Abbey Flyers, which is my tramp my old trampoline club. I know Abbey Flyers seeds forever ago in lots of ways now. But I really want you to know that it's changed my life forever uh, in such a positive way. Thank you for all that you've done. That's success. Right there. That was wonderful. Um, do, you, do you think, though, Paul, that there's, like for coaches, and, and kind of anybody can jump in here as well, to be honest, but for, for coaches, there's an, there's an element 
and I think you mentioned it of success being defined by how your athletes are doing rather than by the things that you're doing as a coach. So you don't get recognition for maybe some of those things, you know, like the text message that you just got about producing, uh, uh, you know, all around people. Um, but you do get recognized for athletic success, for your athletes achieving something. So h- how do you, I guess, how do you square that circle? You know, that success for you is really kind of, well, perceived as being dependent on on other people. So for me, I, I'm now happy with um, with who I am as a coach and also what I wanted to achieve as a coach. Um, and um, if, if, you know, Bryony hadn't have got the two medals at the Olympic Games, World Europeans, um, I, you know, if she hadn't have got that, I'd have been disappointed for her as a person because I knew she had the capabilities of that. And I knew that working with her, she was one of the best in the world. So for her not to achieve her potential um, would have been disappointing um, for her. Okay. And it, it would have been sad for me not to have helped to get there, but, um, and, and everybody else mm. that was involved in the process. But at the same point, um, you know, th- that's her, her journey. Um, like for me, success um, and sort of like is is knowing that you've done all that you can um, to help like one of your athletes um, be the best version that they can be of within that context. And that's not for not um, everybody. That's not the Olympic Games. Um, that might be a you know a British Championships or something like that where they've qualified and and everything. So, um, but you can get caught up in it, and you do start to believe that this is how I should think um, exactly what Kath said about um, while well, I was there in the moment. And so I think I've just got to adapt to this. Well, actually, um, you know, we come back to that whole thing around, well, surely if people are in a happy place, then they'll, um, they'll be uh, much more successful um, overall. Um, so yeah, I, I'm happy with how I define success now and it isn't by um, medals. Can, can I just jump in and ask Paul, how, because the system would not yet acknowledge your, so what do we mean by system? You know, the, the people you might report to in the performance world would not recognize that text message that you got yesterday. No, there's how, no, no value to that. How could we move to a place where that's more valuable? Um, I honestly think that um, we need to rethink the entire um system and and there are changes happening and there's some positive changes happening um for example let's stop thinking um that you know in terms of like the olympics and and things like that as it's it's become more like a franchise um and it's a case of right okay well these are successful and they do this so we have to do that um and a bit like centralized training and semi-centralized training um why are we making athletes you know leave their home clubs and and their personal coaches um, you know, I've had an athlete that's gone to two Olympic Games and I've not even been bought a ticket to actually attend the event. Like, what does that do? Uh, and w- what does that say? Um, it's just, it's wrong. It's wrong. And it's, mm. it's the whole system is, you know, is we'll do everything and protect everything in this little bubble so that we know that we can control everything. And it's that control in nature, which has ruined um that side of sport for me and that side of coaching and I don't I don't like that um however having said that um I think that there are changes happening and there's some really good people in in you know certain positions now that um have experienced these things themselves so understand it um and 
now rather than it being like a franchise or a business we're now thinking hopefully starting to think about the people that are involved in that in that process um so it's it's taken a long time to get there but i think it's finally starting to happen so so let let's stick with this then for a minute because you know i i'm i'm fully on board i'm a, an advocate of a fundamental reimagining of what success really means and that's outside of sport as well as inside of sport but how can we do that in sport which is fundamentally results driven so as a psychologist i'm thinking yeah wouldn't it be lovely if we could do that if we could reimagine success it would be good for our collective psyche right but people are hired and fired on results Funding is awarded based on results. Funding is taken away based on results. So, you know, you started talking there, Paul, about a couple of things. I wonder, Kath and, and, and Sid, if you have any, any ideas, what would it look like if we could do, if we could reimagine success? Like, Kath, what, what are your thoughts on that? Mm, and this is a conversation I'd love the whole performance system to be having, really. Um, I, I think it is, it, it, it's not about dropping this one and imposing another one on because by mm. definition a different approach to success requires us to go about it in a much more um sort of pluralist way it's not we replace medals with this it's actually you know we, we, we're shifting from this sort of finite world as you know Sid mm -hmm. used that term which I think is really helpful um to actually helping people on their sort of infinite journeys towards where they can go as people, how they want to develop in that kind of broader sense. So therefore, you know, definitely stories, which again, Sid mentioned, are a really helpful measure. What are the stories we want people to be leaving the high performance system with? You know, I actually think, um, and, and, you know, the, the, I've had conversations with um, sports teachers and sports directors as well, starting to think the measure isn't winning, you know, this league local fixture. It's whether my children in 10 years time are still active and leading healthy lives. We need to shift the time scale that we're thinking about. We need to shift the measures. We need to change the stories. And actually people within the system need to have that agency to, um, to be shaping it. So actually we all have a say in it. So it's quite a, a rethink in terms of this top down, short metrics, fill in a box, tick, mm -hmm. medal table, done. It's a whole different philosophy, if you like, about what's possible that would create all kinds of different stories um, that would, you know, I think being far more inspiring than, you know, one minute crossing the line. <laughs> That's part of the stories that yeah. won't go away, but we put so much more then around it. But, you know, we almost have to have a, uh, a performance conversation involving everyone in the world to start shifting towards this and feel that we can shape something different. And of course, we would need some some government buy-in and a little bit more reimagining at that level, mm. um, fundamentally too. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we are probably starting to see a little bit of a shift in some places. So for example, youth leagues that don't record wins and losses, or don't record scores, for example. So we're starting to see little examples where that might start to build a culture where we think about success differently. Sid, again, you, you kind of in the work that you do with athletes, how do you talk to them about success when the again the drivers are, are winning and medals and, and and that sort of culturally prescribed success? Like, how do you break it down with them? Yeah, I think it's a, a great question, and it's a it's a really challenging question, um, especially given I think Paul and and Kath have mentioned that we're we're working in an environment which is all driven towards results, right? Um, even, for instance, my role is it's 
it's it's not been often seen as a value and uh, whether mm. it supports athletes and supports performance and then we're trying to tangle with okay how do how do we see that the, the value of the work that we do um so often when I, when I look at kind of success and when I look at kind of the conversations we're having now around success and around winning um for me I often look at it in a sense of when working with athletes it's it's thinking it's kind of about thinking about the question of okay when we're looking at uh, uh, olympics um and kind of the winning element is is gold here right it's kind of silver and bronze is great too um but we know not everyone's <laughs> going to win that gold right we've got 200 odd countries with thousands of athletes competing yeah um, yeah statistically um so does that mean the 99% of athletes have failed or aren't good enough um, or have have not met their goals. And, and we know that's not the case because the, the stories that we hear from athletes overcoming certain hurdles or becoming the first athlete in their country to compete at an event or turn up to an event um, or overcoming certain challenges or being the best version of themselves, that, that all exists. And I think part of the, the conversation, I think for me, goes down to the core element of what does it mean being an athlete? What kind of athlete do I want to be? Um, what is driving me deep down to being an athlete, taking away these results, taking away um, the end outcome? What is it I'm here for? What's my purpose here? Um, and deep down, it's, for me, it's digging deeper. Okay, if, if, if an athlete is striving for winning or striving for gold, right, we know that is a certain motivation but what's digging deeper to that so when when is it when i'm trying to win or when i'm wanting to um reach a polling position what is it i'm really trying to connect with here what's the meaning behind all this what's a long-term vision when i'm when i'm having a successful race weekend for example or when i've finished the first podium at the end of all this for me it's digging deeper of what is underneath and in the layers behind this all uh, and that gets athletes sort of thinking because often they're not asked those questions. They're not allowed to think about those questions. All they're allowed to think about is, okay, turn up, focus on winning. And this this factory style assembly point just keeps constantly churning again and again and again. And it's kind of this element, I think, that, that uh, Paul um, was alluding to. It's around we want to humanize the athlete in what we do. Um, well, they used a little show. They used to, sorry to interrupt. They used to have as you walked into the room. I mean, it's changed now. It's way better. It's, it's it's looks really great now. But they used to have uh, in their main training venue. Um, they called it the engine room, and <laughs> the engine room. Wow. We're not working with machines. Mm. We're working with people. <laughs> you know, there is so much language. There is so much language, isn't there, when you start listening around athletes being machines and podium potential and, you mm. know, this sort of commoditization uh, has gone, you know, it's, people, it's really in, it's sort of cut, cut through the language of our performance system, which, it, which keeps it in this sense of athletes not being people first. Um, but I love what Sid's saying about getting to the intrinsic drivers. So the medals are, are still at a shallow level. It's what does the medal represent to you? What's the human value of the medal? It is an inanimate object. It is a round piece of metal in itself. Mm. So what brings it alive? You know, you, then you want to dig deeper and really find those stories. And that's the lasting value 
of the medal. Um, so the medal in itself, you know, you can be unhappy with a gold medal or happy with a gold medal, depressed, not depressed. You can have a great story of sort of social impact or just within your club being really connected to a community, or you can be totally isolated. So it's not actually about the colour of the medal, is it? It's about what it represents. And yet we often don't even have a conversation about that. This is 80% Mental, and I'm joined by Paul Greaves, Sid Sampler, and Kath Bishop. And the conversation has been fantastic so far. We're talking about the psychology of success and what success really means. And what I'm taking from it so far is maybe we're asking the wrong question. Maybe the question isn't what does it what does it mean to be successful or what does success mean? Maybe the question is about what does it mean to be an athlete? Mm-hmm. Really exploring the values of the athlete. What does it really mean? Um, you, we, we were just talking there about um, the 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 medal being just a piece of metal, and it's the athlete who actually gives that meaning, the story behind it, that where, where the meaning lies. Uh, we, we did an episode uh, earlier on in the series with James Toesland, two times uh, World Superbikes champion. And he said something really, really interesting in that episode. He said that um, he, w- when he won, I think, his first world championship, he described it as the most confusing two weeks of his life because he realized when he was standing there on the podium, you know, having won the World Superbike Championship, that it was the journey, the challenge of trying to win was where the enjoyment was rather than the actual winning. Um, I... I, I I wonder, Kath, have you ever experienced anything like that? Um, you know, when you actually achieve something that you want to achieve and realize that, okay, well, maybe success, well, that culturally prescribed success anyway, doesn't actually guarantee satisfaction. So this was a real driver for the book, to be honest, coming across so many stories like that. I mean, I actually initially started off thinking I might write about silver medalists because no one writes about them. And we're all told <laughs> that's the sort of first loser place. Right. And actually, you know, in life, we all come second. We ought to be runner, runners, you know, runners up. It's a thing and nobody writes about it or tells you about it, etc. So mm. I started off that. I haven't written that book yet because in the process of thinking about that, I met people who'd won and they were sort of depressed or feeling really empty mm-hmm. or, you know, just kind of wondering what it was all about and, you know, feeling that now they had, what did they have left from it? And I was thinking, oh my God, so, you know, this is the nirvana. This is the moment. This is the life-changing, everlasting happiness that I was told, you know, that that's what you're on the journey to. And it only happens when you step on the top step. And of course it doesn't. I mean, you step off the podium, you have the same relationship flaws and character issues you had before you, you know, did your warm up. Um, and I found that in so many fields. And I think we've heard lots of stories, you know, from Victoria Pendleton to Johnny Wilkinson to, you know, Annie Strauss and the cricket team when they, you know, hit the number one in the world slot and just sitting there with a trophy saying, is this it? And being surrounded by all sorts of yeah. kind of really serious mental health issues. So you know, there are so many of those that that's made me think, look, if winning isn't even working for a large proportion of the so-called winners, surely we can do better than this in how we define what success is. And so, you know, when I started to dig into 
how people were um, setting themselves up for this experience, if you like, you know, I found that if they were defining winning as like that moment in time, crossing the line, standing on the podium, then then you had this, okay, what comes next? So if it's disconnected from, you know, something that grounds you, something that's, that's you know, infinite, like a, a relationship or a community, then you often ended up in this place. Or if it was this sort of very, um, you know, inhuman definition, it's a trophy, it's a cup, you know, again, you're left cold, you're left with a piece of metal, aren't you? Mm. Um, you know, or if it's something that somebody else has told you, you've got to win, you know, these factors often led people then, you know, even at that highest moment to actually experience quite a low experience. And that, you know, our definitions of success need to have this sort of lasting value, you know, a human side to them and, and to have agency that it's, it's on your own terms. So this was really the sort of journey of, you know, four or five years writing the book and hearing all these stories and trying to think, what does this mean? And, and we must be able to do this in a better way. And Paul said, uh, I don't know if you have any, any thoughts on that as well. You know, do, do people have to experience that to understand it or can we... I don't know, impart that wisdom somehow uh, so that people don't have to go through it. I, I mean, I can speak from a coach perspective on, um, so uh, obviously Bryony was like the first ever trampoline athlete to win a medal um, from Great Britain. Uh, she got the silver and like amazing, like the, I still get goosebumps when I think about it. Um, <laughs> like I do, honestly, I've got goosebumps now because it was just incredible. <laughs> knowing what she'd gone through and like the the sacrifices and all the you know the troubles that she'd had along the way to see you know to see it actually happen for her then afterwards it was a huge huge dip um there was there was a massive dip and sort of nobody really prepared me as a coach for that because surely you should just then keep that high but it's of course whenever you get a massive high there there's a you know you climb the mountain you've got to climb back down the mountain um but it's at a rapid rate so suddenly you've got all this um attention and all this um sort of focus because it's around this one moment in your career well actually it's not and i mean i've i've stepped away from um sort of elite coaching now i don't i don't i'm not involved in it anymore um from, from sort of since the last two months um and i'm sort of like the happiest that i've ever been which is really <laughs> sad um it doesn't i love coaching but I, when i think about what coaching was about for me um and yeah of course i wanted to win and i wanted my athletes to win um something changed along the way and it became a very unhappy place um mm. and something that i ended up resenting um unfortunately and it doesn't have to be like that um you know it really really doesn't and i think um you know i think Kathy said about writing another book about silver medalists. I think you should write a book about coaches um, and like <laughs> their experiences because it's, yeah, it's, it, but I think, um, I think it was your work, Pete, actually, when you looked at like the mentally tough athlete and you looked at like what coaches went through and it was exactly the same thing. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, I don't get access to the sports psychologist. Like, uh, you know, I'd have loved to chat to Sid and, and said, yeah, can you help me out as well? <laughs> um, you know, because I don't think we prepare people. And I, I think it's all based around these these one moments, these flashes in the pans, and actually should be focused more on the whole journey and then the journey afterwards as well. I, I find it quite disappointing that sort of our, you know, UK sports strategy talks about the aim being inspirational moments. I think that's not actually very ambitious. And it sets us up for this sort of high and then a dip and high and then a dip. And it misses mm. this sense of creating. No, actually, we should have 
kind of ongoing inspiration inspiration that lasts whereas we're you know so stuck in in that kind of old paradigm and yeah I mean it's really sad to to see a coach with your insight into framing excellence with happiness then leaving the performance system well Paul there, there are people who are concerned with the coaches there are people who are doing work in uh, coaching stress and well-being and burnout and trying to help coaches and and, and kind of really look after coach well-being because the coaches have to go through this stuff too like you said Hi everyone, my name is Josh Fletcher from Career Blueprint and I'm interrupting this podcast to talk to you about burnout. Burnout is a huge issue among sports coaches and high performance staff. It's an issue that's really close to my heart, having experienced it more than once and felt its full force. So many coaches give and give and give until there's nothing left to give, leaving scraps of energy for the ones at home who truly love you and none whatsoever is left for you. This is why I've teamed up with your host, the good Dr. Peter Olashraga, to develop Thrive, a six-week interactive course designed to support practitioners who are physically, mentally, and emotionally exhausted from burnout. You'll move away from disillusionment and apathy in the workplace towards an inspired career which fills you with pride, passion, love, and the ability to thrive. To find out more and get access to our early bird discounts going live on the 6th of Feb, go to yourcareer-blueprint.com forward slash thrive or look in the episode description for the link. Now back to the podcast. Um, I, I was interested that you talked there about uh, sacrifices. Um, and I guess, you know, given what we've already talked about in terms of what success is, are, are those sacrifices necessary? in the pursuit of success and, and, and maybe what's actually worth giving up? I, I think if you look at, so say for example, let's look at the mastery of a skill. So if you're looking at like you, you want to master a skill, well, um, you have to repeat that skill over and over and over again. So you've mm. got to do it, you know, thousands of times for it to become, you know, completely mastered. Um, with that comes um, time. Uh, effort and energy and if you you want to be the best in the in the world or, or want to be the best you know that you can be then you have to invest that time and then that takes the time away from somewhere else so I think with anything that you do take sport you know out of it with anything that you do if you want to you know almost like push push forward then some sacrifices have to happen um and, yeah you know it's the same as if you look at head teachers I mean I don't know how head teachers do it but they basically you know live eat breathe their school and some, they do they work you know crazy long hours and, and mm-hmm. everything um it's not on the olympic stage so it doesn't get highlighted as much but again they're making lots of sacrifices family time that sort of stuff because they've taken on that role they've taken on that job and that's the same with athletes and coaches is that you understand that but there are sacrifices along the way um for example, my sisters were absolutely gobsmacked when I could attend their weddings. Um, <laughs> felt really bad, um, but but it's part that's sort of part of the journey in some ways. And there is the experiences that you have. There's so many positive experiences on top of that as well. Like and and the friendships that you make for life and the connections that you make. That you know actually there's a lot of value to it as well. So it's not all negative. There's there's a lot of positives yeah. as well. Um, when we say sacrifice, um, there are you make some sacrifices but you benefit in many many other ways as well so yeah it's but but you do yeah there are sacrifices i don't think you could do anything to that extreme without having to compromise something 
Maybe the word should be compromise rather than sacrifice. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a fan of the word sacrifice. It's yeah. one of many words that actually have a real violent sort yeah. of core, mm. you know, essential meaning if you go back to where it comes mm. from. And it's for me, it's a bit part of that kind of macho narrative that really emphasizes pain and sacrifice and <laughs> brutality. And so I'm not saying it's easy. Of course, it's not easy. But I think it's for me, it's more about commitment and mastery and exploration and exploring possibilities and, you know, things that for me are expansive and exciting and quite human uh, you know, human drive to explore, to, to kind of push our boundaries. And so I find sacrifice has for me that sort of slightly heavy, negative and quite violent core. And that is, you know, again, it's, you know, impregnated through our language. I'm sure like Sid, you were talking before about some of the sort of language we use that we need to sort of step away from some of this because it actually keeps us entrenched in a not very healthy environment sometimes. So were there some things then, Kath, that, that you would say you compromised on in your athletic career? Um, what were some of those sort of compromises? And I guess if you look back at that, would you do things differently? I mean, I, you know, I had choices. I think that's probably more what I would think. I had choices. I, mean, I think in the beginning, I felt compromised in a negative way yeah. in that nobody asked me about my values and everybody said, will you do whatever it takes? And that for me is one of those now very sinister questions mm. that you think, oh, yes, 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 I'll do whatever it takes to win a gold medal. And then you give away any right to ever say, hang on a minute, that's crossed a boundary or yeah. I'm not comfortable with that. So. Uh, you know, I think there was lots of that language that I eagerly signed up to and that left me compromised personally and actually within a performance way as well. Because if you're not thriving, if you're not able to really be true to yourself, then it's really difficult to perform under pressure. Uh, it creates more of a perhaps fear-based environment as well. So I think it was then sort of moving more to having choices about I'm going to shape the experience I have on the way to this as far as I can with an environment that has lots of things I can't control and lots of things that are systematized that I have to do. But actually, what can I do to shape the experience I have albeit one, you know, very consciously doing that in terms of the relationships that I have, the collaboration, the team that I'm part of, what can I contribute? What impact can I have on them and them on me? And how can we sort of create that story as we go that we will keep forever? Um, and when it, when I started making more choices around that, then, you know, that led to, you know, both a, a kind of much, much hap healthier, happier place and, and also a better platform then for performance. Yeah. So, uh, you know, health and happiness are just as important and well-being as, as, as our performance in inverted commas. Um, Sid, if I can bring you back in here, finding that balance with athletes, how do we do that? You know, how do we find the balance of being successful in one's sport, but also that wider success of, of you know, being able to go to your sister's wedding or, um, you know, that success that you might consider as, as part of your life? Like, how do you find that balance? And I think that that question goes back to the previous conversation really around Paul and Kath that is around removing some of this language that we have with athletes of being this superhuman, you've got to give it all, you have no life. If you really, if, if you really want this, if this really means everything to you, you need to sacrifice. And I do wonder often, when we look at language, uh, how much have we ever asked an athlete what it looks like 
when we look at commitment, when we're looking at uh, the work that's involved in, 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 in being in sports, how often have we involved athletes in that language um, of when we're looking at sacrifice and we're looking at commitment? And often, again, it's, prescri- it's prescribed, right? We're not inviting them mm. in of what do we want this journey to look like? What is going to be involved in this journey? And do athletes have choices in this journey? And often kind of the conversations we're talking about here, they don't. And this is where we get the the really the difficult stuff coming up here, what we're talking about. And that that leads to this question right now is, is what do athletes give up or do athletes have a, a life outside of sport? And often there is this big connotation of if you really want to make it in, in sport, whether this might be in football or Olympics or multi-sport, that you must give it 100% and you must only focus on this athlete wearing hats and and that shows to coaches, that shows to the environment that you really, really want to take this seriously. But we know that doesn't work. We know the, the research is telling us otherwise. Mm. We know, one, we know without our well-being, without being well in ourselves, without flourishing in our mental health and well-being there is no performance so in order for us to perform at our best we need well-being so well-being is the the foundation of of being able to perform so it's not picking well-being over performance it's actually well-being needs um performance needs well-being and from the element of kind of what do I do as an athlete? Which do I pick? Do I pick being an athlete or being a parent or being a brother or do being a friend? For me, it's a, it's a combination of checking in every now and again. You can you can be you can wear many hats. You can have many parts of your life as part of your journey. Um, you don't need to pick one over the other. Yes, we know that there's going to be certain uh, kind of commitments that we're going to have to prioritize. Um, as Paul was saying there, that we might miss, we might miss a bit of family time, we might miss a birthday, whatever it might be. But the idea here is, I can be an athlete, but I can also be connected to my wider identities. I can still make time and be a friend and be a brother and be a sibling. Like we know what the research is telling us. When we're so consumed in this athlete identity, we become mm-hmm. trapped, we become caged, and our self worth and our a sense of meaning and a sense of value becomes so hingent on this result or on this performance and we just don't see any way out um, and I can't escape from when I'm having a bad time or having a bad result because all I see is an athlete in myself I don't see anything else um, so what we really want to do is 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 giving athletes permission of you can be other things right you can connect with other interests and other hobbies and other interests you can be something more than just being an athlete and part of that it's is 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 helping the athlete realize and 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 see how by connecting with other parts of who who I am and not suppressing those parts, it's really going to help me when it comes to performance. It's really going to help me when it becomes to being an athlete because I can switch off when I'm not having a good result or bad performance. It's not suddenly my whole well self worth and my value is is down the drain. It's just I just had a bad performance and that's it. I can move on and I can let go and I can do the other things I care about because. Also, you're not going to be an athlete for the rest of your life. Um, I'm going to be a human far longer than I'm going to be an athlete. Um, and it's often what I find in, in a sporting environment is giving athletes permission to have these conversations, to think in this way, is often the biggest hurdle and often the biggest battle. Because often, as when we're looking at uh, language here, we're looking at uh, kind of what we prescribe in athletes, 
it really conditions them in a really negative way of how they should view themselves, how they should view performance, how they should view um, sacrifices and success. Um, so for me, it's taking some of that pressure off, taking some of those labels off, creating those safe spaces of actually let's redefine what being an athlete means. Let's redefine what being success means. Let's give you that ownership. Let's give you that power. Can I, can I just chip in there? Um, of course, yeah. So I said that obviously things are changing and, and they are, but we're still stuck with certain things. Like the, everything you just said there said is just like music to my ears. Um, <laughs> and, and like um, even this year, so, you know, I've, I was privy to an email uh, that was sent out to all athletes or coaches of athletes that were under 18, um, suggesting that if the athletes um, that were going out to European championships this year, so this is this year, um, if they had exams around those times that maybe they should try and look at rearranging their exams with their school. And I'm like, no, absolutely <laughs> not. Like that, and, and some I think did, and they felt pressured and there's still a culture whether we like it or not, there's still a culture of fear of upsetting somebody just in case you get deselected and, and everything. Mm. And the same with the coaches. Coaches are told that they have a voice, but if you speak up um, about some issues like uh, what Sid's just talked about, um, there's still a worry at, at that you're, you know, of deselection or maybe your athlete's not making teams. There is that worry. And I know it's there, but coaches just don't talk about it, unfortunately. I think the the things that you're talking about here, and I've said this on this podcast before, so if you're listening and you've heard me say this, well, tough, but it, it's kind of part of a broader cultural problem, isn't it? The way that in our kind of Western culture, we glorify things like sacrifice in inverted commas and mm -hmm. toughness and grit and resilience and uh, and kind of pushing through and and being all things to all people all the time in coaching we call this a superhero complex it's particularly uh, apparent in coaching where they feel like they need to be all things to all people and never ask for any help and i don't know paul if you can kind of identify with some of this stuff right um and, and again it's that language that that surrounds all of this stuff so it's it's this broader cultural issue that we need to maybe unpack and i don't, I don't know how to do that within within sport um but I guess it's conversations like this that maybe start some of that stuff off. Well, I think if you look at like, um, if you look at coaching, for example, or coach education, um, you know, um, how do you get a coaching qualification? Well, currently, like, um, you don't have to become, uh, you don't have to get an undergraduate degree or anything like that. You can go on your coaching courses mm -hmm. and, you know, that will teach you about how to develop skills and things like that and safety and th this sort of thing. But you know, we're working with um, people and um, and people are complex. Um, and uh, that for me is where we've we've forgotten things in sport. We've forgotten about the people and we're talking about the sport and performance and, and we've taken the people element out of it. Not everybody, not, not all sports, but for a lot of the issues that are coming up, um, you know, that have come up fairly recently, it has been we've forgotten about people and how we develop people mm. um and we should be developing people first and foremost and then the athlete secondary to that <laughs> um, because 
you know, if they're uh, the, the fact that nobody ever asked Kath what her values were or her, you know, her beliefs of what she should do, you know, that's how we should be starting. Like, you know, who are you um, and how are you going to best sort of see this journey through? And that's different from from Sid. Sid's, a, you know, a complete different person and he will value different things. You might value some of the same things, but it might be different. But let's find out who Sid and Kath are and then let's see, right, what's the right journey for them? Um and then that gets removed even more when you then go to sort of like national governing body level and they scoop the, you know, the best ones in and, and um, mm. you know, that sort of whole learning process of learning who that person is then gets diluted even further. Um, so I think, yeah, there is some systematic issues that we've got and it's not easy to fix, but hopefully conversations like this and, and the wonderful people that I'm listening to right now, um, you know, hopefully, you know, there can be a change, man. And I'm certainly up for talking about it a lot more and and um, and sort of, you know, putting the, the personal touch on it as to what it actually was. Um, the dream, um, the reality was very, very different to the dream that I thought it was going to be. This is the 80% Mental Podcast, and I'm here with Coach Paul Greaves, uh, psychology expert Sid Sampler, and Kath Bishop. Um, And we're talking about success. I'd really love to hear what you think about success. How do you define success? What are examples of uh, success that you've experienced? You can uh, tweet us at EPMPodcast. You can find us on Instagram at 80%mental, uh, or you can go to 80%mental.com where you can listen to all of our other episodes uh, and leave a comment if you like about this episode. I'd love to hear what you think. Um, some some really fascinating conversations so far about what success is, how we might reimagine success in a world of sport where what we think of success is, is kind of culturally prescribed, culturally determined. Um, I, I see a lot of self-help guides and a lot of self-help books and a lot of Instagram experts, as I like to call them. Um, and they will readily tell you the 10 steps to success or the seven habits of successful people. Now, given what we've talked about already about what success is, do, do you think that people who are successful, however you want to define that, do they do things differently? Are there things that people can actually do to achieve whatever their version of success might look like? Uh, Kath, I'll go to you first for that one. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's a great question. I mean, I think given it's an, success as an industry, isn't it? You know, yeah, it's yeah. all over marketing and sort of adverts and the media. You know, winning blogs and winning, you know, TV box sets and winning you know you name it hair products so um you know it's become an industry hasn't it it's become a way but but that in itself sort of shows almost the superficiality of it um and I think we have to sort of take a take a step back from that the fact there are so many formulas for success suggests that it's not that straightforward and it's not just following you know 
Seb Coe's version or, you know, whatever the other million books, you know, Clive yeah. Woodward's book winning, you know, all of these innovative t- titles, winning mindset, winning this, winning again. <laughs> um, so I think that in itself tells us that uh, there are many ways to explore success. And actually one of the challenges is if you try and narrow it to one version, you in fact you in fact sort of hold people back, don't you? Because you know a lot of sport is very narrow. It's only over a particular distance that you're measured. And if you're, you know, if you're a good runner at 175 meters, oh, phew, who cares about you? Um, you know, so so by its very nature, we sort of we, we, we sort of cut out excellence in lots of areas because it doesn't fit this arbitrary decision that you have to row over 2,000 meters and run over 102, you know. Mm. So, you know, itself can be very narrowing this this sort of sense of this is, these are the hoops you have to fit through. So I think it's about, you know, actually we should be exploring all the other versions of success that, that were actually stifling by this um, and enabling people to then explore, you know, what they're capable of. And for me, that it, it's that fundamental, you know, as humans, we want to explore what we're capable of, what's possible. We want to push those boundaries and we shouldn't be sort of hemming them in as we do that, you know, in school is terrible for this, isn't it? It's such a sort of narrow measure of yeah. essentially how much you can remember um, when the world needs, you know, much, much broader thinking and talents and skills and ideas. Uh, and so I think we need to be, you know, broadening what what, what we're thinking about. Um, so, you know, to some extent, the, the more books there are, I think actually that proves the point that there isn't just one formula. <laughs> and actually, we've all got a we've all got a voice in it. We've all got a part to play in it. Yeah. Sid, what about you? I've, I've heard you talk about uh, identity. And I've heard you talk about values so far as things that people can consider um, in, in their journey towards whatever their, their version of success might look like. What, what else? What are some things that people can do to work towards what they think success is for them? I think it's a, a combination of doing a combination of things they can do, but things they, they could do less of. Um, and I think one of those things is, is around how do I quiet, quieten the noise around me um, that's going to constantly chatter. And what I mean by that is, is social media, um, especially for a lot of the athletes I'm working with at the moment where social media is a big thing, where we kind of have to connect with social media for sponsorships and all these elements. Um, but then mm. they're surrounded by kind of what you're talking about, these mindset gurus or these self-help gurus. And I think part of kind of this idea of what can what can I do who's listening in is one is understanding kind of the the frames of references that some of these people are coming into these conversations with. Because like Kath, Kath has mentioned is if they did really work, right, if these quick steps really did work, we'll all be perfect right now. None of us would need these steps. And I think it's building the the, 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 the confidence enough to know the, the things I'm hearing around me, whether it's around, I need to wake up at 4am to be successful um, <laughs> or just need to follow these quick steps. And um, that it doesn't work, right? We're really complex human beings and we're amazing human beings in that way because we're so complex. There's more mm. to us and than these quick, simple steps. Um, is is building, I think, in, in, in the noise of everything going around in, in the world that we live in, where everything's all instant, right? We live in a world where we're always surrounded by the need for instant success, the need for instant attainment. Um, and what I would say is, is, is for the people listening in, is constantly thinking when we connect with our values is, 
what's going to really help me out in all this? What's what's important for me as a person in all this? With all these people around me, with these systems around me, with the noises around me, what do I value as a person? Um, what's going to really help me out as a person? Um, what behaviours, what actions, what choices do I have that's going to move me towards what's really important to me? Um, what, what I really care about? Um, and I think part of the conversation is, and this is something that I've definitely learned over over time, is learning to hold some of the noises around us, whether this is social media or whether this is the noises of being in performance, um, like some of the external pressures, learning to hold those lightly and learning to brighten that inner light of ours inside, the one that knows the best for us, the one that really cares about us, the one that really wants the best version of ourselves, not what others want that to be looking like. Um, so for me, it's adding in that self-compassion and adding in that kindness um, of, okay, this is what's important to me. This is what I'm about. This is what I value. And part of that is just holding some of the noises around me in a much more lighter and a gentle way and listening in deep down in my heart and in my body. I love some of the language that Sid is using there. Isn't it that we're mm. so far away from that world of sacrifice and more pain? Yeah. You know, uh, and it reminds me actually of some of the work that I do with um, a small nonprofit called the True Athlete Project, who I absolutely love, who are doing really practical work in this um, in this area, um, workshops, uh, cross sport mentoring program. And the curriculum they use for the mentoring program, where they match people up across countries, across sports, a really safe space. It is to explore, first of all, your values, your identity beyond sport. The, you know, compassion and its place in training and in competition, something that was, to be honest, completely absent from my experience of sport. Um, they also look at that sense of connectedness with nature, with the natural world and your social responsibility that, you know, you, what, what do you represent as an athlete? What opportunity do you have to have an impact maybe on your community, maybe, a, you know, a small local level, maybe more than that. But again, that what are you contributing? What's left? Uh, when you've finished your career or, or, or what do you go on to? Mm. Um, and they also base it around uh, uh, bringing mindfulness to to your life as an athlete and as a coach uh, and not just sort of mindfulness in terms of helping you really concentrate to, to get in flow and perform quicker, but being a mindful citizen, if you like, caring for others, being cared by uh, and bringing in this sort of very different approach to your environment, to your competitors, uh, again, not this sort of old fashioned hate them, you know, fear of them, you know, they're, they're the sort of worst person in the world. They're, they're actually compassion for them and you can't perform without them. And so, you know, really turning on its head some of that that old paradigm of, of how we how we approached the, the world, the sort of rocky world. Um <laughs> As, as we all kind of may have, may have grown up with. And so, yeah, lots of this is sort of reminding me of, of the work that I love doing, supporting their programs, bringing them into sports. And so, yeah, I'd absolutely recommend to have a look at their website just for the language there that is very kind of close to, to some of what Sid's saying, which I think offers us, you know, a, a different narrative. Well, we'll, we'll um, make sure we put links to that in the episode description. So if people do want to check out that as the True Athlete Project, yeah? So if people want to check that out, we'll make sure there's a link to the uh, to that in the episode description. Um, Paul, I want to just bring you back in here quickly as well, you know, because you 
have experience as a coach, you have experience in high performance sport. Um, same sort of question for you. What, what, what can people do? What can coaches do maybe specifically to move towards success for them? Again, I think it's it's looking at that um, holistic approach with everything that you do. And, you know, we hear people say it all the time, but they don't actually do it. Um, and this is something <laughs> where, you know, you can say, oh, I'm a holistic development coach. And then they go back in and it's all win, 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 win. Yeah. Um, and, and like, you know, um, if, you were to, if you were to come into my environment that I used to, to run, um, I had it, especially like the last sort of, um, sort of several years, um, you know, we laughed, we were happy, we worked hard, um, and, um, and we enjoyed like, and, and, and we achieved. And it's just like, it was, it's, it was a really great environment to be in. And um, many students used to come and look at, uh, observe me as a coach. Um, so I'd say, yeah, come and have a look. And it was part of one of our assessments. And they all used to be really shocked. And I'd say, well, why are you shocked? Like, what is it that's shocked? They said, oh, it's just very different from what I thought. And I was like, well, what do you think it was going to be? And they said, well, we thought it was going to be really strict and rigid and disciplined. And I was like, well, okay. And that comes back to words that Kath was saying is it's, is it sort of like, you know, disciplined rigidity and all these mm -hmm. types of things, it's aggressive. And it's like, actually, it doesn't need to be, um, you know, we can laugh and we can have fun and we can work hard at the same time. And, you know, um, it's, it, and I think this is where, from a coaching point of view, of view um, obviously like from my perspective, I understand coaching now on a whole different level because I, I lecture in it as well. So, you know, I've really researched it. And when we talk about developing uh, people, we talk about um, sort of like how people feel and how people feel that they've succeeded in something. And I, I've even taught a session today uh, to some of my students and we were talking about some of the key factors in creating a motivational climate. And one of those was um, people feeling safe uh, both psychologically and physically, um, people being praised um, and, and rewarded for, um, and when I say rewarded, like praised for efforts uh, and, and things like that, as opposed to sort of, and, then, and I just suddenly thought, because obviously I was thinking about doing this podcast tonight and I was like, my goodness, maybe we need to take this to sort of like performance programs, the basics of coaching, of how you develop people. And, yeah. and let's, let's look at um, that. So I think, for me, it's to become educated. And, and when I say educated, away from your sports, you know, take sport away from um, from sort of like the, the coaching element and think, actually, how do I coach people first? Because you're never going to have true success unless you can coach people and you really know what coaching is. Um, you know, yeah, you might have sporting success in your particular discipline or something like that. But yeah, I think people need to become educated much more around um you know, the, the depths of detail that it is to work with people and, and like the amazing sort of aspect that each person is different and depending on like how you've been brought up to the way that you think, you know, it's it's phenomenal. And once you start investigating it, it completely blows your mind and it's actually really exciting. Um, and I said to my students today, they were asking about their assessment uh, feedback and when it would come out and I just said, Look, I said, this sounds wrong. It's like, but I really don't care what grades you get. I said, what I care about is that you've taken something from this module that I've taught you and you go out in the real world and you use it, <laughs> you know, but I hope you get a good grade as well. <laughs> so, but yeah, I think just like that, like really sort of like 
learn what so if you're a teacher you have to go you know through three years of undergraduate you have to go through a year of teacher training you then do your newly qualified teacher uh, year and then you're constantly offset every four years to make sure what you're doing is right and correct and within the coaching world and the sporting world we don't have that mm-hmm. um and you know we need some more sort of regulations to make sure that people are developing people in a in a you know in a sort of like a in a happy way <laughs> in, a, in, a, in a good like you said about being a good citizen like yeah absolutely we need to check in on that a lot more it's such a shift isn't it it's a it's a, a pretty significant shift in mindset i think from where we are now but i think we're starting to move that way you know and hearing the three of you talk this evening uh it seems like there are small things that we can do to make that shift and make that shift happen perhaps a little bit more quickly um, I've got one one final question for you. I'm looking at the time. I don't want to keep you forever. Um, although I would love to because it's a great conversation. Um, but my, my, my final question is, who are your role models for success and why? Does anybody want to go first with that question? I, I know straight away. And um, it was it was my PE teacher, Mrs. Balker, Jenny Balker. Um uh, I've talked about her on loads of occasions and she was my absolute inspiration and seeing how she um, sort of impacted so many people's lives. That's what I wanted to do. Like I, I wanted to do mine through coaching, um, but like, you know, like, you know, you won't know her outside of the school context or unless you went to that school, but mm. um, that's who I based a lot of my values and, and principles on I think um you know she really cared and um you know she drove us all all over down the country to competition she sorted out a a club for me to go to she cared about me you know taking up what I really loved doing which was which was my sport and yeah I think I think I got a lot of my sort of core values from from her so so yeah it wouldn't be somebody famous it's 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 mrs barker jenny barker from from Meadowhead school in sheffield legend absolute <laughs> legend that's awesome sid what about you role models for success do you have one and, and and why yeah um i think i'm gonna probably jump on the bandwagon of paul here um i definitely i think i would say there's a, there's a mixture of i think when i when i view success or when i look at kind of the contribution of of the impact of 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 where I am right now it's been a mixture of the people around me um and it kind of brings back to the video of Ian Wright Phillips um sorry Ian Wright when he's kind of connected with his P teacher again um and and for me it's a yeah it's a combination of um the not I wouldn't say it's just the celebrities or the known people um in the world um, I think for me is a combination, I would say, of, of kind of some of the personal people around me. Um, so whether this is kind of some of my family, um, some of my mentors, I think definitely my PE teacher, Mr. Dale, similar to Paul, was a really big, is always someone I always look back. And he was one of the reasons why I feel I got into kind of the sports area and was exactly like that. He he just didn't, he had, all he cared about was us and our progression. He didn't really have mm. any care on results or performances. Um, or, or kind of the care was just on us and, and, and wanting the best for us and wanting to develop and, and build good good people. And that's, I believe, hopefully, that's kind of, we were in that way. Um, <laughs> and I think what I take around kind of when I look at whether it's my, my PT teacher or my, my, my parents is 
what they prioritized, I think, was the person. Um, and they prioritized and valued that over results or over kind of some of the more tangible extrinsic factors of success and and and, and results mm. and i think that's definitely something i've i've gained um because i like i remember as a kid whenever we used to play football and our team lost quite a lot i think it's quite reflective of perhaps our team um, but i remember <laughs> we used to come home um and and the first thing mom said was she didn't ask the question of did you win or did you lose the, always she asked was did you enjoy yourself um and it's just some of those those things that stood out for me as a that's what i want to be and that's that's what's helped me be here and that's kind of what i want to prioritize and value um and yeah, yeah in, a, in a nutshell kind of that's my answer I would say well, that's wonderful and I, just just before you go kath i feel like i want to jump in here and give a shout out to mr mcginnis who was my pe teacher uh, slash art teacher because PE teachers and art teachers always doubled up. I don't really know why. Maybe that was a northeast thing, right? But um, Mr. McGuinness, and he, he passed away a couple of years ago, but um, he didn't really know very much about basketball. Um, but he coached the basketball team, and he put on sessions pretty much every lunchtime, and he drove us around to games uh, as part of the league uh, in Gateshead. And he took us on a trip to Leicester one time to watch England play. And he didn't have to do any of that. He, he didn't have to do any of that stuff. Um, but he did. And he gave up his time for us, a group of young kids, to make sure that we had something to do after school. And we had a league to play in. And, you know, I, I just to kind of jump on the back of your two stories there, I just think, like, the fact that I'm sat here now, like 35 years later, remembering that and talking about that like that is mm. success like he was a successful teacher i think mm. um and i just wanted to share that story just on the back of what you two guys have both said uh kath i'm going to come to you you've had plenty of time to think about this oh, now. oh yeah those <laughs> were such i just really loved those stories um, I almost bristle at the term role model for success because I feel it starts of to course, get yeah. <laughs> port put into the sort of superhero world. Sure. And um, but what all of you did was not fall into that trap, but actually people who weren't highly paid, who weren't you know written about, who weren't on Sports Personality of the Year, you know, but people who really left a life changing impact. And for me, that's what sports about. It's not just let's redefine what it means to be an athlete. Actually, let's redefine at the core what sport is about and those stories perfectly sum that up um i do sort of struggle yeah to find any one person for sure i think it's you know i think more about people who shaped my thinking maybe challenged my thinking i mean mm -hmm. certainly growing up my father was uh he, he's a very curious person he's into all sorts of things he's quite quirky and he will always you know he was always interested you know whatever subject it is you know whether it's astronomy or you know he just would always dive into something and always encourage me to but always challenge my thinking what assumptions are you making and so i think that was a gave me just a, a real curious mindset from the start and actually when i became an olympian i remember you know coming from a not particularly sporty kind of upbringing as well i just I just was quite curious about what the hell was this about? And I got lost for a while because I almost couldn't explore it. But actually, it's the curiosity that in the end sort of saved me both kind of at the end of my career and, and, and sort of thereafter. Um, so definitely my father's big impact. I was also really lucky in my first sort of two main rowing coaches at university who sort of took me to quite a high, you know, sort of national level, if you like, uh, really emphasised the 
what for me is the beauty of rowing is the feel of the boat, the rhythm, you know, that that's the magic of rowing. It's not winning a race and it's not just loads of effort. Now, of course you want power. That's a key part of it, but actually, you know, it's as much what happens when you're not powering the oar that moves the boat as well. And so, you know, for me, that's why I fell in love with the sport. I just love being on water. I loved sort of working with others and developing that feel. And that's the thing that saved me when the sort of Olympic world got quite brutal and it was all about, just sort of strength and guts and and all of that actually I don't know I sort of managed to stay connected to why I got into it um so that even on a on a day where I, I'd sort of feel I'm just going to give up at, at the end of the day it's just so so awful and there's no way for me to sort of be who I want to be I, I still have that connection I love being on the water felt, felt a privilege always and so I'm grateful to them for that that means I didn't I could easily have fallen out of love with my sport through the experiences but I didn't because actually I was able to connect with that from the start. So, you know, those really stand out. Lots of people I spoke to when I was writing the book were really generous with their time, really kind of helped challenge my thinking from all sorts of worlds, business, education, sport as well. And so I really enjoyed that process of um, sort of getting out there and, and, and wanting to sort of think these things through, research them more, have, you know, be part of a debate, start more debates. Um, and so, and so the role models continue. Wonderful. Well, three three incredible answers uh, from you from you there on success role models. And again, I I, I appreciate the term is uh, well, let's say controversial. Um, but that's what I was hoping. I was hoping that you would go that way with it um, because I think if you sort of look into the people that you would look up to as successful, I think quite often we'll find that they're not the medal winners. They're not the you know. Um, the, the super rich, super wealthy, uh, super you know traditionally successful people are the people who left a mark, people who left an impact, people who challenged you. So I think if we're gonna, yeah, totally agree. Give maybe one piece of advice for pursuing success. It's look to the people that you think of. Look to the people who left a mark on you. Um, I just want to uh, thank you all once again for for taking the time out to have this conversation. Um, I found it absolutely fascinating, um, and it's it's been a pleasure speaking to you all. So, um, to uh, Coach Paul Greaves, thank you for joining us on Eighty Percent Mental. You're more than welcome. Really enjoyed it. Thank you, uh, Sid Sampler. Same to you. Thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Thank you. And Kath Bishop, absolutely wonderful to have you on. Uh, really, thank you for taking the time to uh, join us this evening. Great conversation. Thank you. Well, what a special conversation that was with three incredible people from different but overlapping fields. Success and winning are often thought of as synonymous. And we have a very clearly defined vision of success that society constantly tries to sell us. But in this episode, we heard about things like identity, values, compassion, and kindness when it comes to evaluating success, which is kind of in stark contrast to what we're often told it means to be successful. So perhaps we can notice that culturally prescribed version of success and instead define our own versions of success by asking ourselves what we really value. What does it really mean to be an athlete? What does it mean to be a coach or a parent or a teacher or whatever it is that we do that's important to us? And maybe we can learn about what success is 
by thinking of the people who've really left a mark on us and considering the ways that those people try to live their lives. I really hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did. Don't forget that you can subscribe to the podcast and listen to all of our episodes at 80percentmental.com. And I'd love you to leave a comment either on the website or via Twitter at EPM Podcast or on Instagram at 80percentmental. I'd really love to hear what you think about this episode in particular. So if you did enjoy it, give us a like or share on your own social media. It's the best way to help the podcast spread to a wider audience. Thanks again to our incredible panel of guests and thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. Well, I won't see you because it's a, it's a podcast. Thank you.